Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Age of Radio. Hello there, folks, and thank you for listening to the show. I'm Joanna. I'm Nate, and this is Stranger Than. Today is the end of Joanna's Bridgewater Triangle saga. It is. This has been uh, a a large undertaking with many ins and outs, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> it has. And uh, I'm going to miss it. I'll miss it. I'm going to miss it, too. I am going to miss just automatically knowing what I'm going to be doing. And now I'm not going to have to, like, get creative again. Like, God damn it. <laughs> You're just going to have to find a new place that's steeped in what have you. It's steeped in paranormal activities and yeah, yeah. deeply maybe haunted. Find a, maybe <laughs> we can find another cool uh, cryptid. Yeah, maybe so. Puckwudgies were a thing I had no idea existed before the Bridgewater yeah, Triangle. And uh, my life is the better for knowing that they do, or may, or did, or all three. That's, yes. Uh, I have a quick uh, corrections to make. Um, little corrections corner here. Last episode, I accidentally, when I was talking about um, the murder of uh, Mary Lou Aruda, I had said that, you know, it didn't, um, that her um, murder didn't have anything to do with the supposed satanic cult murders committed by, I accidentally said Drew Peterson instead of Carl Drew. And so I just oh. wanted to like throw that out there. I, I hate it when I, I'm doing the listen through of the show before we post. And then I hear myself say something like that. I'm just like, God fucking damn it. Well, you like, know, technically speaking, we could punch it in. I mean, all you have to do is record <laughs> the right name into your, your recorder and then send me the file and tell me where to dump it in and I can easily do it. Yeah, I guess that's true. But that just seemed like a lot of work at the right. time i mean well, if it's well, easy for time. you to do then maybe next time i'll do that for right now oh, i'm just gonna easy, yeah. call out my corrections here that i needed to make on that to be fair it was we had done a bonus episode where the murderer's name was drew peterson yeah, and then and there's carl drew so i drew mean both names, yeah, yeah drew in both names and i just misspoke so so there you go just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah, the amount of emails we got about that is just insane. <laughs> I know, I know. We People just like, emails. you said it wrong. That That's wasn't not who right. it was. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> well, why don't you get this started here, Joanna? Let's, uh, let's, let's hear your, your Bridgewater Triangle uh, finale. Okay. And my sources for today, and I get that all up front because I forgot to say them in the show last time, but I, I believe Nate did uh, uh, go ahead and put them in the show notes. But I tried, but you sent them to me as a, a, a picture, and the picture wouldn't upload, so oh. I didn't feel like typing all the things out. I don't know how it happened. But, how did uh, I send that to you as a picture? I thought I just... I don't know. 
I copied and pasted and sent it as an email. I don't know. That's weird. Well, okay. I guess maybe we'll have to. I'll have to do another uh, corrections on that too. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that's going to upset me. So I am going to um, go ahead and call them out. Yeah. I'm going to call out my sources from last episode are www.tauntongazette.com, newenglandfolklore.blogspot.com, enterprisenews.com, Lizzie Borden, Warps and Wefts.com. And last but not least, www.heraldnews.com. And then the sources for today's episode, www.ancientpages.com, www.legendsofamerica.com, historyofmassachusetts.org, and the 2013 documentary Bridgewater Triangle. The two places I'm going to talk about in this episode are we're going to talk a little bit more about some stuff, some history of the Hockamock Swamp, and also a place called Anawan's Rock. And you can't really talk about the history of Hockamock Swamp or of Anawan Rock without talking about a little thing called King Philip's War, which was actually the bloodiest uh, war per capita in American history. And I say American history rather loosely since uh, during the time this happened, I mean, America was like a colony, not actually like America. So more of the se. colonial history of the land. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but due to the population size of the time, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's bloodier than the Civil War. Goddamn. Yeah. Although, that was a I mean, bloody not, mess of fucking shit. <laughs> yeah. Not nearly so many people killed, but there were so few people. Lo lots of death compared to how many lives were around. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> compared to the amount of lives actually there. <laughs> yes, exactly. Now, King Philip was actually a Wampanoag sachem. So he was like, uh, you know, like the, he was the head honcho. Of the yes. tribe, so he wasn't uh, he wasn't a, a, the French King Philip. No, not the French King Philip. Philip was his given Christian name because, of right. course, from the moment we set foot off the Mayflower in 1620, we were like, "Oh, hey, indigenous people, you need to be Christians." I mean, really, from the moment that Columbus set foot on, uh, you know, in the Caribbean, mm -hmm. they said, hey, you should be Christians. And you yeah. know what that did? Fuck up the world. Right. <laughs> it was pretty, uh, you know, it was a pretty poor idea. <laughs> pretty fucking brutal. Pretty fucking brutal. So the, so the, the native tribes that the English colonials um, interacted with, you know, they're, they're always trying to get them to convert to Christianity. And so, of course, they get given Christian names. His actual name was Metacom, or also called Metacomet. But his Christian name was 
Philip. And then people called him King Philip since he was like the leader of his folk. Yeah, yeah. So King Philip um, began like a, you know, to rebel against the English colonists. And so just a rundown of like who was who in King Philip's War, the uh, Wampanoag tribe led by King Philip, the Nipmuc tribe who was allied with King Philip, the Narragansett tribe also allied with King Philip, the Pocumtuck tribe allied with King Philip, and then the Mohegan tribe allied with the English colonists, as well as the Mohawk tribe, also allied with the English colonists. That they kicking themselves for that one. <laughs> well, I'd, I mean, maybe they were just uh, looking out for themselves. I'm sure there was some that. sort of some sort of like something going on where mm-hmm. it was like my my enemy's enemy sort of scenario. Yes, now. because the. Um, because the Mohegan and the Mo- and the Mohawk, um, you know, were already kind of like not down with some of these other tribes. They were kind of yeah. already enemies. So, and I imagine if they are from further inland than the coast, that maybe they don't know how the white people worked <laughs> and how they can't really trust them because they don't really think that they're human. <laughs> Well, I mean, it it was it was early days in the you know True, yeah. settlers versus the indigenous people. I mean, they land Mayflower was uh, they landed in Plymouth, uh, sixteen twenty, and this rolled around in uh, King Philip's War started in sixteen seventy five. So right, right. So it's, it's only like... been about fifty years of you know hanging bullshit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but I mean. Uh, there, I mean, there was there was white people going there since you know the early 1500s, right, right. Like the late 1400s, right. But but as far as like establishing like an actual settlement and and sticking around yeah, for yeah. like the long haul, this has been not going just on. coming in for for a quick rape and steal, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> they were like going to like permanently like you know take lands and yeah, uh, yeah. you know commit terrible acts upon people, yeah, and, and it just wasn't going to quit. <laughs> For a long fucking time. Well, a few years before King Philip's War started, the colonists had become suspicious that Philip was planning an attack against them and had summoned him down to Taunton, Massachusetts, where they were just like, hey, what are your plans here? We think you might be up to some shady shit, and uh, you are going to need to uh, sign a peace treaty saying that you are not going to like make any war upon us because we don't, we don't fucking trust you. And also, like, give us all your weapons. So Of course, of course. Yeah, so he did do that. And from that point on until January of 16, you know, until uh, 1675 began, he just started kind of uh, planning on the DL. Well, in January of 1675, John Sassamon, he was a Native American, and back in the day, they but he had been Christianized, and the, what they called them at the time was um, they referred to them as praying Indians because they were. Christian, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But they still were not like you know fully accepted because they were still 
you know, indigenous people. So of course they right, still, right. they still so had they to be were... like treated with prejudice, but at least it was like, well, at least you've been Christianized now. Like, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're still animals, but they're, they're Christian. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's pretty gross. It's absolutely gross. Yeah. Anyways, John Sassman. So that was his, you know, Christian name and everything. I uh, told the governor of Plymouth, Josiah Winslow, that King Philip was planning an attack. Now, Josiah Winslow did not do much with this information at the time. He just kind of sat on it for a bit. And I don't know what led to what, um, but at some point later in the month on January 29th, John Sassaman was found dead under the ice in a pond and a witness said that he his neck had been broken and a witness said that he had seen three uh, Wampanoag uh, people kill John Sassaman <laughs> probably because he talked yeah I imagine well, you, know, you know what they say about snitches right <laughs> <laughs> you get your neck Broke and tossed under the ice of a pond. Is that how yeah, that goes? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, that's got a nice <laughs> ring to it. It really rolls off the tongue. Yeah. Well, the three men accused of his murder were arrested, uh, tried, and executed. And that did not occur until June 8th. So some months went by before that all <laughs> happened. But once that did happen, that really just kind of got the ball rolling on the whole war sitch on june 20th 1675 a band of poconoket warriors entered the town of swansea massachusetts uh everyone was at church of course but they uh looted several homes and then set a couple of them on fire and so on June 21st, the next day, uh, Josiah Winslow ordered 200 men to be raised and the Massachusetts Bay Colony officials prepared to negotiate with the Nipmunk, the Narragansett, uh, Nyadic, and with King Philip himself. However, a couple days later, more houses were burned in Swansea. And... Uh, there was just some general skirmishes kind of going back and forth. Some settlers were ambushed and killed. And then when people went to get help, uh, those settlers were ambushed and killed. And on <laughs> June 24th, King, yeah, King Philip responded to the skirmish by ordering attack on Swansea. And that became the first official battle of King Philip's War. Now, this fight would go on for about 14 months. It finally came to a close. And like I said, there was, you know, lots of butchery on both sides. <laughs> yeah. Uh, not just fighting men, but of course, uh, innocent uh, men, you know, innocent as non-fighting men, women and children right. were butchered yeah, yeah, on both sides. Could, yeah, yeah. Anyone that they could kill, they would fucking kill. Yeah, a lot of the, you know, uh, 
colonies that have been popping up, uh, several of them were burned to the ground and like all the houses destroyed, settlers killed, lots of, uh, you know, villages of natives also burned, women, children killed. Yeah, I mean, sure, why not? Why yes, not? yes, because war is just shit. Yeah. <laughs> But in August of 1676, a deserter, a native deserter, uh, told this guy, Benjamin Church, about where King Philip was located. Because during all these skirmishes, you know, King Philip always managed to kind of like, you know, have the upper hand and they were always like getting away. It's almost um, really kind of blind luck. They had a really hard winter earlier that year that wiped a lot of them out because they couldn't get any like food and supplies. Like the whole time yeah, the, yeah. the English colonists were able to get more stuff from England, but uh, the natives were just kind of stuck off with the land. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then with the skirmish going on, they didn't really have an opportunity to, um, you know, everything that they acquired would often get, you know, burned and, what have you so they it was just kind of blind luck that the english colonists like essentially won the war because really the um the native americans were much better at uh fighting than, oh yeah they knew the territory than, I mean. yeah and they you know they could track like the english colonists were you know a little bit helpless when it came to like the stuff, you know, the yeah, lay of the like, land. They're not, they're not from there. No, and any of them that were soldiers were kind of used to, like, the British style of fighting where it's like you're on a flat field, like, to... Stand in a line. Yeah, stand in a line, march towards each other, you know, hack each other to bits. But as far as, like, more, like, guerrilla-style warfare, like hiding out in the forests and the swamps and planning planning sneaky attacks, like, like yeah, really, yeah, yeah, yeah totally. the natives, like, totally had the upper hand there. And uh, King Philip always managed to kind of, like, get away. But this, um, this native deserter told this guy, Benjamin Ch uh, Church, where Philip was, and that he had gone to this uh, village near Mount Hope. And on August 12th, uh, Benjamin Church led a company of soldiers to the area and found Philip camped out with uh, a few of his warriors. Uh, the spot would later be known as King Philip's seat. But huh. Philip tried to flee, and uh, a native, another uh, you know, praying Indian named John Alderman, is the one who actually shot Philip. Benjamin Church had tried to shoot him, but he had missed. But John Alderman managed to kill Philip, and once um, he was shot, he was then uh, beheaded, and his head was sold to the Plymouth authorities for 30 shillings. It was placed on a stake in the village where it remained for 25 years. <laughs> One of Philip's hands was sent to Boston for display, and the four quarters of his mutilated body were strung up in four trees where they hung until they wasted away. Just sending things to fucking places like that. Now, King Philip's number two is his, in, his, uh, his indigenous war chief, I guess, is what you would call him. Um, his name was Anawan. 
and his fate was met just a couple weeks later on August 28, 1676, at a large rock in Wahoboth Swamp, and that is what is now known as Anawan Rock. It was again Benjamin Church who found him, and he told Anawan that if he and the others that he was with would just surrender peacefully, he would not be executed. Oh, right. I, I so, believe that. <laughs> Anawan is taken as prisoner back to Plymouth. Uh, the story goes that Benjamin Church left, and... What in his absence, the uh, local colonists at Plymouth decided to take matters into their own hand and into their own hands and kill Chief Anawan. Anyways, as as colonists will do, right? And his head was put on a pike and kept there for also like twenty years. Gross. Yeah. Like after twenty years, you're like it's just a fucking skull at this point. Mm-hmm. All skulls look the same, basically, besides the wounds you inflict on them before you take them from the person. <laughs> yeah. People don't generally give up their skulls just, you know, haphazardly. <laughs> generally speaking, they, uh, it's taken by force. Yeah. As far as I know. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm by no means an expert. Yeah, well, I, you know, yeah, people <laughs> basically think of Dumb and Dumber. Suddenly, <laughs> remember with the like the guy's bird, like they cut the bird's head off and then he taped it, or or then he he saw that it happened and he thought it fell off. You know, Tweety, yeah. Tweety's head fell off. Yeah, <laughs> people's heads just don't go falling off. Time. Oh my gosh, that's a classic. I love it. <laughs> well, the war had pretty disastrous effects on both the colonists and the natives. So. By the end of the war, about 600 colonists had died. Uh, 12 out of 90 new settlements were destroyed. And as far as the Native population, out of about 20,000 Native Americans in that uh, the New England area at the time, an estimated 2,000 were killed. Another 3,000 had died of sickness and starvation. And about 1,000 were captured and sold into slavery. Jesus Christ. Gross. Yeah. Just a big old swath of people. Yeah. Gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, a lot of people think that because of this, uh, you know, whole unfortunate chapter in, it's one of many unfortunate chapters in yeah. the history of America. Uh, um, basically, the history of the making of this country <laughs> is one big unfortunate disaster. It is. But as far as that particular unfortunate disaster goes, they think that that, that contributes to why um, so many crazy things happen in the Bridgewater Triangle is because of King Philip's War. It oh, either right. mean Native Americans placed a curse on the land or that the war just caused so many bad vibes that it's like, you know, forever haunted. The sheer amount of blood spilled and like yes. bad feelings and shit. Just... Mm-hmm. Yeah, they just kind of like just sit there like. Yeah. Yeah. So Anawan Rock is known to be a very haunted place. Anawan Rock is close to Rehoboth within the Bridgewater Triangle, and 
mostly what's reported is there's um, spook lights, a lot of spook lights around. So like kind of like baseball size, like orbs of light. Yeah. Can be seen. General, like random different things fly Mm -hmm. around or fly at you or fly above you or fly away from you. Phantom campfires are also like will o the wisp kind of just yeah phantom fires just you can see them you can hear them crackling but then there is no smoke and nothing burned and if you like go and investigate the fire it like just suddenly like disappears and there's no evidence of any fire being there strange yeah also uh people think that they can hear whispers in you know just just whispers all over the place in uh you know native american language right yeah mm-hmm. that would be fucking weird because it's not like i would be able to i'd be like i don't know it was some language right it, it was something like, i don't it was know a, it was a person saying something but i don't know what the fuck it was yeah yeah ghost warriors i've also been reported Sometimes there's the fragrance of cooked meat. I guess that's associated with the phantom fires. Sometimes oh, the right. fragrance of rotting flesh. But again, yeah. you can't really find the source of any of the, you know, the weird flesh smells. <laughs> the flesh rot, yeah. There's also, uh, aside from the, uh, you know, ghostly whispers, sometimes, um, you know, chanting is heard. and in conjunction with the phantom fires so so like a mm-hmm. like a native american war party or mm-hmm. like just encampment or something or yeah. town and mhm yeah and you can't ever seem to nail the sounds down to one spot just like with the phantom fires you'll see them and as you approach them it it disappears and they might pop up in another place that's very uh like kind of fairy folk stuff that right there it is it is and people have also reported seeing uh a giant like ghostly face which they think is the face of chief chief anawan this is also close to um a place called Profile Rock, but that I haven't talked about that much because it's actually like no longer in existence. It's no longer a profile. It looked like a profile of like a of a Native American, which they think was the father of King Philip. And that was supposed to be like the the session before King Philip. Uh, they think that it's his profile, but it's actually not really a profile anymore because the nose part actually like eroded and broke off. And oh, so yeah, so now it's just rock. Rock, that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> it's no longer really profile rock. But if you look at pictures of it, it's actually pretty crazy how much it does look like the profile so it, of a face. Yeah. So it's fairly recently that it... It is fairly recently that yeah, it... That it... Uh, the nose broke off. Yeah, it's within like the last like, you know, decade or something. Now let's move on to the Hockamock Swamp. This was named the Hockamock Swamp by the Wampanoag people. And the translation of it means a place where spirits dwell. Now, the colonial English settlers called the place the Devil's Swamp. Of course they did. Yes. Now, you say of course they did, but 
would you believe that the uh, natives also kind of thought the place was evil? So hey, (laughs) the English, the English, the Puritans weren't the only ones who were convinced that that evil went on there. Place just had a bad vibe, apparently. I I guess so. I guess so. Um, There have been artifacts found, uh, human artifacts found as far that have been dated as far back as 9000 years ago. From about 380 to colonial times, the Native Americans um, used the uh, swamp as a source of, uh, you know, food. They hunted, hunted there. And it was also had some sacred burial grounds in there. They viewed the Hockamock Swamp as sacred, but also evil. It was both worshipped and feared. The deity of death and disease called Hobomok was said to live in the swamp, is what they believed. And Hobomok was considered, you know, death, disease, uh, destruction, evil, and he was, or he or it, was uh, in opposition to uh, Katanoit, which was the creator god. Okay, so this was their. Uh... Basically, they're Satan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he lived in the swamp. In the 17th century, during Kingsfell's War, the natives used it as kind of like a, a hiding place and a, a, play, a ba- you know, kind of a base of operations to launch assaults and also to flee and hide from the colonists. It's known to have a lot of sinkholes and quicksand. So things can disappear pretty easily out there in that swamp. Yeah, well, uh, I would say that most swamps, things could pretty easily disappear. Mm-hmm. I mean, which is maybe all... maybe that's why they're kind of viewed as really spooky and evil because things can just, you know, get sucked right into the swamp, never to be heard yeah. from again. <laughs> well, there's also lots of like dangerous critters in the swamps. That's where you find. Uh, a... Snakes, there's snakes there. Snakes are are generally kind of aggressive creatures if they get snuck up on. Mm -hmm. Easy to sneak up on something you can't fucking see that might be asleep. Lots of like alligators and insects and sickness. And seems like, uh, yeah, I can see why they would, generally speaking, be avoidant of swamps. Yeah. Now, um, Lauren Coleman, the guy who dubbed the the term Bridgewater Triangle. He talks about in his book, Mysterious America, about some Massachusetts archaeologists who discovered an 8,000-year-old Indian burial site on this place called Grassy Island in the Hockamock Swamp. When the graves were open, the red ochre within the tombs bubbled and dissolved. Ugh. Yeah, destroying the bodies that they had excavated. And all their cameras malfunctioned, and they were not able to photograph anything. None of the film came out of... Weird. Yeah. And I couldn't really find it referenced anywhere except for, like, internet sites referencing this passage from Lauren Coleman's book. Yeah. Where, you know, it... 
basically, you know, like just just this one passage and it's like, OK, there's no photographic evidence. Uh, everything dissolved because of this crazy, weird red ochre stuff. So, yeah, no actual evidence of 8,000-year-old dead people, but that doesn't mean that there aren't any there. Right. So could the answer as to why so many crazy paranormal things happen here be as simple as, like, a Stephen King (laughs) storyline? Like, ancient Indian burial grounds? Right. Like, oh. Is that the reason? Really? Really? That would be something else. It could be. (laughs) And this whole time. (laughs) now in the documentary the bridgewater triangle there is a guy featured his name is tim weisberg and he's the host of a radio show called the spooky south coast he's also an author of a couple books or a book i didn't i didn't write that down sorry tim weisman but he's an author regardless. He is an author regardless. A published author. Now he says this about the origins of all the paranormal weirdness in the Bridgewater Triangle. Quote, a lot of people seem to think that because of King Philip's War, the Native Americans placed a curse on the Bridgewater Triangle region. I almost wonder if King Philip's War is not the curse of all this, uh, not the cause of all this paranormal activity, but just another byproduct of it. Maybe for some reason, whatever happens here predated that skirmish and is something just inherent in the land. Huh. So it's not because of that war, but it's just the land is evil or whatever it is yeah that's what i mean and i kind of feel that way too like maybe the king philip's war was especially horrible and bloody because it's just like maybe whatever is there it just amplifies it yeah yeah i mean there's been so many crimes there's there's just i mean there's something going on besides just i think uh you know a curse put on the land yeah, yeah. You know, and who knows? Maybe be. it does I have mean, something to do with those 8,000-year-old bodies that disappeared in the Red Ochre. Who knows? Yeah, maybe people aren't strong enough to do that kind of curse. Maybe that's just a cursed land. Maybe it is ancient, ancient curse. Maybe it's, you know, who knows? Yeah, I think whatever it is, it does predate King Philip's War. And I would be in agreement that, like, King Philip's War was more a bribe byproduct because there's king philip's war and then like you know there's all like the weird crime and the the weird paranormal stuff the cryptids maybe it is just some sort of weird vortex that and it (laughs) has been and just continues to you know just be kind of its own i don't know it's just like it's like its own living breathing like weirdness yeah that's its own own weird area of weirdness yeah a weird area of weirdness (laughs) <laughs> it's got a certain ring to it. Doesn't it just? <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. That's all I have on the Bridgewater Triangle. That's it. Wow. That was that was quite a quite a ride. It was. It has been. And I enjoyed it thoroughly. And I hope you guys enjoyed it too. Oh, well, it was filled with interesting things and uh, you know, puck wedgies. Puck <laughs> wedgies are, are, are pretty cool. They are indeed. Well, I'm going to read an article from 12 W Boy 
which is a West Virginia news, like local news place. Oldest hotel in West Virginia haunted by several ghosts. Parkersburg, West Virginia. Nestled into downtown Parkersburg, the Blennerhassett Hotel was built in the late 1800s. Despite several setbacks over the years, fires, floods, and major renovations, the hotel is still open for guests to enjoy. With all the memories many locals have of the hotel, it's no surprise that the, ho that the hotel has its fair share of ghost stories. The hotel was named after Harmon and Margaret Blennerhassett, but the ghosts reported at the hotel are generally from the industrial era. Guests and staff have said that they have seen children riding tricycles, vaudevillians, and men wearing top hats and bowler hats. That's just so cool because it tells about the history of the town through ghost stories, said Jason Burns, a West Virginia storyteller. Because you've got the colonial era on the island with the Margaret, and then you've got the industrial era on the mainland with the hotel. The Woman in the Elevator One well-known ghost story at the Blennerhassett is The Woman in the Elevator. Legend has it that people will see the ghost walking into the elevator and vanish. Adam Dotson, hospitality guest service specialist at the Blennerhassett Hotel, recalled a time when a postman with a delivery spotted the ghost. He had never been here before. I told him to go through these doors and get on the elevator and go downstairs and I would be right with him, Dotson recalled. After a few minutes, Dotson decided to go with the postman and make sure he knew where he was going. He caught the delivery man before the elevator closed. He looked over at me and the first thing he said, serious, could, serious as could be, is this place haunted? Remembers Dotson. The, the delivery man continued on to say that he caught the end of a woman getting on the elevator and that before the door shut, he stopped it, but there wasn't anyone on the elevator. The Cigar Room Door The ghost of a woman has been known to frequent the door facing 4th Street on the Blennerhausen Hotel. The door had once been the entrance to the gentleman's, to the gentleman's cigar stand and smoking room in 1889. According to staff, the door now serves no purpose. Sherry Stevens, human resources manager at the Blennerhassett Hotel, said she spotted the ghost recently while walking to her car one evening. It was mid-afternoon. I was walking down the sidewalk across the street and something flashed, and it made me look in the direction of the door, Stevens recounted. So I stopped for a second, and I saw a woman looking right at me in the door window. Stevens said she saw the woman twice within a week, and she always looks in the window when she passes by now but hasn't seen the ghost since then. She describes the woman as having been a white, expressionless face and bright red hair. Stevens said she could tell the woman wasn't from this era because she wore a light blue dress that had a frilly tall collar and a brooch. I wasn't scared, and she didn't look evil or anything like that, Stevens noted. It just made you stop and look like, is this what I'm seeing? And then it went away. Shadow Figures Staff have said that they frequently see shadow figures in the basement. The figures are described as being silhouettes of people, sometimes wearing top hats, trench coats, and fur collars. The laundry room seems to be a hot spot for the ghosts, as many staff members have reported seeing the figures walk to a staircase at the end of the washing machine that leads to the bellman's closet in the main lobby. Dotson said he saw a shadow figure walk into his office, which is also in the basement. Thinking that the shadow was a server in black clothes, he looked in his office and nobody was there. Mm. The Man with the Bowler Hat One of the most famous ghost stories at the Blennerhassett Hotel is the story of the man with the bowler hat. 
The man is known to be seen in the dry storage area in the basement and in room 409, which is located a few stories above the storage area. Staff at the hotel believe that the ghost may be connected to the Klatnecker building, which was built next to the hotel by businessman Johann Kaltnecker. The hotel acquired the building and incorporated that portion of the building during the 1985 renovation. Room 409 is the only two-story suite in the hotel, as well as seeing the bowler hat man. Guests who stay in that room have reported hearing furniture moving around at night. One guest said the bowler hat man tried to hold her down in bed by her neck one morning. Yowza. Yeesh. Dotson said he had an encounter with the ghost while staying in room 407, next door to the infamous room 409. He said he chose the room because it's, it is known to be on the quiet side of the hotel. But he woke up to what sounded like a party in room 409. The next morning, Dotson told the front desk about how noisy the people in room 409 were that night, and the staff said he was the only one on the floor on that end of the hotel that night. Those who are interested in taking a historic tour of the hotel can call 304-422-3131. And this is actually a uh, recent article, so it was published somewhat recent, November 5th, 21. So, uh, you know, that's probably still a good, uh, a good number if you want to go to a haunted hotel. Yeah, that's only like four months old, so. Yeah. I personally yeah. wouldn't want to go to a haunted hotel because I want to get sleep. And I would imagine with all the ghostly what have you, it's probably not a very restful yeah. place to stay. I mean, maybe some of the rooms, but definitely not next to room 409. No, there's parties, crazy. Going. <laughs> there's parties yeah. going on there. Crazy. And definitely not anywhere where the bowler, the bowler hat guy frequents, you know. No, no. Like, that doesn't sound pleasant at all. Like With the shadow figures, it's almost like, was there a speakeasy down there back in the day? And those yeah. are just like 1920s people, like, listening to jazz music and getting wasted on, <laughs> like you know, ha-ha juice or whatever the fuck. <laughs> I don't know. All I know is that Bowler Hat guy is, is, uh, is highly, he's a highly problematic ghost. Like, that's Yeah, cool. no, you shouldn't be, yeah, I mean, no one, without consent, no one should be holding anyone down any place by their neck. No. That is Unless not you have cool. to, if, uh, if they're like trying to kill you or something, then I guess right. go ahead. But within if, reason. Right. Within reason. But if you're just staying at the hotel as a guest, trying to, like, get some sleep, you know, foolishly banking on the fact that if you go to the haunted hotel to get some sleep, <laughs> yeah, yeah that, should, that should not happen. Not cool. And I can see how a hotel would be haunted. I mean, a shitload of people go there. We said we talked about that with our, our Cecil Hotel episode. I know. I was thinking about Cecil Hotel the other day. Like, God yeah. damn, that place was just fucked up. Yeah. You know, yeah, they're demolishing I mean, place... it. Are they, they really? Already, yeah. It's no longer the stain on Maine. <laughs> yeah. And pretty soon it's no longer going to be on Maine. Uh, it's, just, it's just no longer going to be anything. I can't remember what they're going to build in its place, but it's, it's, yeah. Yeah, well, you know. A hotel no more, which I do not really disagree with that decision because. It's a pretty fucking old building. And and it's just fucked up. There's just been so much fucked yeah. up shit. I mean, we filled like a couple hour episode on like fucked up things happening just at this one hotel. Yeah, yeah. People killing themselves left and fucking right. 
Uh-huh. People killing other people, the drinking of the dead people because of the oh, uh, yeah, lambs, yeah. The, which is still just freaky as shit, that whole mystery. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's that's it's all fucking crazy. Yeah, it's so that's, that's good riddance that hotel, I yeah, guess. Yeah, I think that <laughs> that place just needs to not exist anymore. <laughs> yeah, but and then like the Blenner has it wouldn't be so bad except for the bowler hat ghost. Like the, the shadow figures, whatever, not so bad. You know, there's the the ladies that are randomly walking around and disappearing. Could be worse. You know, a little bit off-putting, but not... Yeah. Like, holding you down by the fucking neck. Yeah, like, that, that part's not cool, but overall it doesn't seem to be, like, a, a vortex to hell, like the Cecil no, no. Hotel seems to be. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess the difference is one is in West Virginia, and the other was in, is, in, is in Los Angeles. Right. So, I mean, what's closer to hell? <laughs> I'm guessing Los Angeles. Yeah. I think you probably guessed correctly. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that is all we have for you today. So I hope you guys enjoyed the, uh, the the big finale to the you know Bridgewater Triangle. Uh, next week or next time we'll come at you with some other stuff. Yeah, something completely new and different. Completely new and different. Yes. So if you'd like to take a look at our social medias, you can find us any place that we're at Stranger Than or Stranger Than Podcast. We really aren't very good at social media ing. No, so, we're not. Sorry. You know, Sorry, yeah. <laughs> what, what do you want from us? Uh, we do want you to send us your stories. Send us your stories about ghosts or aliens or puckwudgies or or you know uh, shadow people. Just any any thing like that. Any weird paranormal or supernatural thing that may have happened to you. We'd love to hear your stories. We'd love to read your stories. You can have your name attached to them or not. It doesn't matter to us. You can join our Patreon. Oh, uh, you should send those stories to strangerthanpodcast at gmail.com. You can join our Patreon, patreon.com slash strangerthan. Here you will get your regular episodes ad-free, and you'll also get a bonus true crime episode, which Jonah will tell you about terrible, terrible people doing terrible, terrible things. Take a look at the website for the podcast syndicate we're a part of, ageofradio.org. Our little corner of that website is ageofradio.org slash stranger than, where you can stream our shows. On that podcast syndicate, there are tons of other podcasts to listen to. So if you need to listen to one, go to ageofradio.org and, and go through the list. There's a bunch and they're all good. And with that, I think we'll talk to you next time. And stay strange. Thank you.